Welcome to the Guy at the Movies podcast with Joe and Sean. I am Joe. He is Sean, and he is also Brando Critic with us today. Welcome back, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Sean, how you been? I've been great. I love that this is episode 30, the Dirty 30s. We're in there. <laughs> the Dirty 30s. The gay death, as they call it. All right. Uh, so let's move on to... Uh, Let's start talking about some movie news in a few minutes, but we have some stuff we want to touch on before we get there. But first and foremost, Brandon, has there been any good content coming out of the United States recently for you uh, Canadians up there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, hockey starts tomorrow, That's so true. there will be uh, some good content coming out of the United States. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was telling these people behind uh, behind the curtain, I guess you could say, um, my my New Year's resolution was to stop watching so much American politics because it would just get me upset. Um, and I, I was doing pretty well there for about six days. And then we all know what happened. And now I've just been glued to the TV and just glued to social media. And I think I still need to take another break. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Regardless of what side you're on, it's just, it's nuts. It's nuts. The, the twists and turns uh, will have M. Night Shyamalan shaking in his boots. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> Sean and I text back and forth about it all the time, and we're—I uh, think Sean's more disconnected sometimes. Like you're—you're you're purposefully disconnected when I've been watching it all damn day. <laughs> I sort of intentionally just like watch like TV shows or movies or anything. That day on Wednesday, I wasn't able to really watch like any sort. I kept on starting a movie and then immediately like stopping it. And then the best thing that worked was old Who's Lines in Anyway episodes, and oh, that was like. I watched about 17 hours of those until they finally tucked me into sleep. That's perfect. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to tell you a movie that is not going to uh, help distract you because it's a really shitty movie. Um, but the uh, we're going to get into our top picks and recent watches. First and foremost, I'm going to go with The Marksman. Uh, this is Liam Neeson's new film. Uh, it is not Taken 73. Uh, it is a film about a you know, retiree who lives on the uh, Arizona-Mexico border. And there are uh, two individuals who cross the border fleeing a cartel. Uh, and he has a line that says, um, hey, Pancho, these are my illegals. Uh, and that's approximately 15 minutes into the movie. And that's pretty much when I was like, okay. Um, not not the best. Not a lot. So, I mean, he's fine in it. But because he's Liam Neeson, he just is the same in every movie. But... So, Joe, with a line like that, that movie came out in 1973? Or, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, oh, no. It's a throwback. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it was just, uh, it's it's special. I, like, there just wasn't much to it. It's very generic and was not a big fan of it. Uh, but the other is Arch Enemy. Arch Enemy is uh, starring Joe Manganiello. Uh, and it's kind of, it's an original adaptation of uh, a comic story that the director wrote. Um, and it... It's interesting. It's fine. It tries to be a little flashier than it is, and it's a little slow. I think that there's a lot of setup that could potentially blossom into something better in future movies. Um, but it just kind of doesn't really hit. And when it ends, you're like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so not the best. But Sean, you watched two films that I'm pretty uh, fond of. 
That is true. Um, it's almost like your last week lineup. I'm, I feel lovely to have it there. Um, I watched two uh, really great films. Um, herself was uh, probably my favorite of the week, um, involving an Irish woman trying to build a house uh, for her two daughters uh, as she is trying to get away from her uh, abusive ex-husband. Um, and it's, you know, you could argue that this is like, you know, just straight cornball, but it really isn't. It, tr- it gives a real life uh, portion to it um, to the point where, you really feel moved. The dialogue in this is absolutely stupendous. Like, and even if it is maybe like softballs being thrown, like, you know, pretty easily, it still is sort of wonderful. And what you need to hear throughout the story. Um, Claire Dunn is unbelievably great as well as the rest of the cast. Um, but uh, the, the big argument there is that it is uh, directed by a woman as well. Um, off the top of my head, I'm going to say Felicia Lord. That might be wrong. Um, but uh it is, uh, you know, it just shows that it actually uh, truly can depict uh, a woman's suffering and a woman and how a woman can be triumphant. And that is truly, um, you know, just like an argument for more uh, female directors. And let's please have more of them all the time. Um, the other one I saw was uh, Pieces of a Woman, which was a good movie. It was a very, very good movie. Uh, Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burstyn are, uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about this next week when I go into that Oscar column. But uh, I think those two are pretty much locks for Oscar nominations. And uh, well, maybe a little bit more. We'll see. Um, but uh, the one issue I had with uh, this film is it was. Oh, I, I should even say it was directed beautifully, like really well done. There's the opening scene that, you know, like like could shake anyone uh, to the core. Um mm. I had an issue with the writing in this movie, Um, mainly the metaphors. Um, You know, it's fine to have some even obvious symbolism, but don't keep having it. The the metaphors kind of felt like Polly Walnuts from The Sopranos telling a joke. He tells the joke and then he says it eight more times. And it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, no, I I, I got it. I understood it. It was already beautiful. Stop doing it. Stop saying it. And so (laughs) that was that was something that just like it just like got to me a little bit. Um, And if it wasn't for that, I would have really, really dug that movie completely. Like, yeah, I I totally understand that. I, um, you know, I'm very fond of this movie and it's actually it's my favorite of last year. Brandon, I know I think you gave it a four out of five. Yeah, I I did. But it's one of those movies where. I, I would say that there's no rewatchability factor, but I, it, this is the subject matter. It's like, why would you want to go through that again? Yeah. It's like a great piece of art. Okay. Just leave that one experience. It's not a, an experience that like you got to have again and again and again. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I, I kind of lump it into marriage story uh, area. Marriage story uh-huh. I think is a little bit more rewatchable. Yes. Um, but I would, I would agree. I think it's that type of, you know, direction that the, the story mm-hmm. goes. Brandon, what did you watch? Well, um, when we're, if we're going for for newer movies, uh, yesterday I saw um, Our Friend, which is coming out pretty soon. But that review will be up uh, next week when the review embargo lifts. Um, and then I saw the first two episodes of WandaVision, uh, which was awesome. Uh, and again, uh, review embargo lifts on Thursday. So uh, I'll have my thoughts on that one. I've never reviewed a TV show ever. So it's gonna it's new territory for me, and it's new territory for Marvel, which uh, is much <laughs> needed at this point. Um, you but guys are in it together. <laughs> oh yes, uh, I, you can see me in the background. I'm the one cutting the hedges. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, over the break, I went back and I rewatched the Hobbit trilogy and the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I actually watched it in order to see if it would, um, if the viewing experience would be any different. Um, you know, I'd say the only real benefit of watching the Hobbit trilogy first is just when Bilbo at the beginning of fellowship of the ring is like, Oh, I went on this adventure. It's like, Oh, you, you, you saw the adventure, but 
again, like when going into the Hobbit after Lord of the Rings is like going in for the appetizer after the meal. And I feel like that's why the Hobbit wasn't really that well received. And of course, stretching it out to make it feel like Lord of the Rings when that's not what the Hobbit is. Just make it its own little cute little adventure. Don't make it this long trilogy. But Lord of the Rings, man, I forgot how fantastic those movies were. But watching them again and really trying to fully understand it and really, what's the word I'm looking for? Really take everything in. Those movies are phenomenal. All of them. Uh, it might be the perfect trilogy, really. Hmm, bold statement. I haven't seen uh, the Hobbit movies, actually. That's It's been on my mm-hmm. list for a long time. Um, I love Lord of the Rings, but it I, I do think I need to revisit it because it's totally something that I watched, I guess, when I was a teenager, they came out. So, you know, you said it before we started, Brandon, about another uh, project, but, you know, looking at it with your Brando critic eyes, I think looking at Mm -hmm. those films now that I have a different perspective would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Sean? I I just really, truly, uh, like, love the Lord of the Rings movies because when you go back and see them, uh, you like the your least favorite the most. Fellowship was my least favorite. And why was that? Because it was boring. There was a lot of talking. I didn't really understand it. I, I rewatched them recently and I was like, oh, that's kind of a near-perfect movie on its own. And I think all of them have this quality of being a near-perfect movie on their own within a trilogy. And that mm-hmm. is, I, I'd say, almost impossible to do. And it's just like they they managed to be puzzle pieces, but all of the pieces were uh, beautiful as well. And that's my metaphor that I'm going out on. See you guys later. (laughs) (laughs) And could I say one more analogy about that? Um, With Lord of the Rings, too, it's like I'd watched them as a kid and I'd always known how good they were. But my sister had never seen them. And she's a big Harry Potter fan like I am. And I was like, you know, they're a lot more like Harry Potter than you think. And after Fellowship of the Ring, when it ended, she's like, wait, what? It's over? And I'm like, yeah, they don't go to, they don't get to Mordor in the first movie. And she's like, oh, I thought that the whole ring and the whole, uh, you know, Sauron and Mount Doom thing, that was just the first movie. I'm like, no, it's, this is a nine hour movie yeah. split up into three parts. And she's like, oh, okay, now I'm really excited. And, you know, with Return of the King being as long as it is, you know, you have all those storylines all planned out. And when they decided to make Lord of the Rings, they had everything planned. They said, we're going to make three movies. We're going to shoot them all at the same time. And then my buddy and I were talking about them because he just watched them too. Could you imagine if the Star Wars sequels sequels went down that route? Mm. We waited four years. You know, Disney with their marketing and with their uh, newly acquisition of Lucasfilm, they had to get a film out there pretty quickly. Sure. But imagine if they waited like an extra couple of years and we got all three and Rise of Skywalker was as big and as epic as Return of the King all the Oscar nominations. Could you imagine how rejoiced Star Wars fans would be? Oh, man. I I mean, I think about that, and I I just think about money talks, and uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of corporations that are, you know, choosing choosing money over, uh, you know, artistic freedom, which I, you know, I'm getting old enough to understand now, which is is bothering me. (laughs) But it is one of those things where you would hope that you could somehow find that balance of, like, the most profitability and the most artistic freedom. And, you know, I think some things do. I think Lord of the Rings did that. I really do. I mean, they, they did it right. And then I think in The Hobbit, you know, they stretch it out to three movies when it's this lovely, beautiful story on its own. But they tried to get it a little bit more complex. And it just, unfortunately, it, it was a real shame that that kind of happened. Um, yeah. Someone in the chat asked uh, if they hadn't watched the both trilogies, would you recommend starting with The Hobbit or does it not really matter? 
Um, it's a good question, but like the Hobbit, when you watch it, the first two movies, I think, I think the Hobbit would have worked pretty well as two, three hour movies. But as soon as I got to the third movie, I'm like, okay, this is just like, let's get this fucking thing over with. And it's a fine movie on its own. But at that point, you're like, let's just, when does the Lord of the Rings start? So honestly, I would say watch the Lord of the Rings first and just stick with that. Wait a bit. Wait like a year. And then say, if you're still thinking about those movies, if you still love them, then give The Hobbit a try. Yes, it's the appetizer after the meal thing, but like again, it's the whole do you watch the original trilogy or the prequels first? Hmm. I think the Hobbit trilogy is better than the prequels as a whole. But again, it's it they're an afterthought. That's the that's the problem. Yeah. That's interesting. I I probably would go Lord of the Rings first as well because I think that it's kind of just like the introduction to that world cinematically that we hadn't seen before and it establishes that type of uh peter jackson Mm -hmm. visionary that he is all right well let's dive into uh some some interesting information that sean has to bring us about the awards landscape here uh sean of course is delivering a fantastic column every monday for guy at the movies.com uh just a joy to read uh (laughs) Uh, so, Sean, give us a little bit of uh, where we're at with the awards race and what the most recent uh, column discussed. So in the most recent column, um, I talked about uh, Best Picture, Best Director, um, and then the two best screenplays. And I talked a lot about them. So I won't, you know, go see the column online on guyatthemovies.com. But I'll give you a short little synopsis. And basically in all of these awards, it is Nomadland versus Trial of the Chicago 7. Nomadland is the critics like hot pick. That's the one that all the critics are loving. Now people are forgetting that when the critics are awarding a movie a lot, that means it's probably not going to win. Now, sometimes they, they both are on the same page, but Nomadland is generating a lot of uh, popularity. Um, and uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 is the audience favorite. Trial of the Chicago 7 is, it's easy, it's lovely, it's cozy, it's hopeful, but it's also political, which is, you know, half of what we're going through right now. And mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where, like, a lot of the audience just needs this, and it's getting more popular. And so those two are right now the two that are fighting it out. Um, now, when it comes to director, it's both those movies again. Um, I predict that Best Picture and Best Director will not be won by the same movie this year, just because there's right now it's such an even split between those two. Um, I do not think Aaron Sorkin will be uh, getting Best Director just because, you know, he's more of a writer. They love him as a writer, but that's about it. Chloe Zhao uh, will probably be winning Best Director at at this point, by the way. Um, Now, there's a dark horse in both of these races, and it's Mank. Now, Mank is starting to lose popularity. People are starting to care less and less about Mank. But Mank is about Hollywood. You get to the Guild Awards, Producers Guild, Directors Guild, Writers Guild. They're going to be like, hey, that's us. And they're going to be eventually, very quickly, bringing Mank up to the popularity. Um, when it comes to David Fincher, David Fincher has never won an Oscar. Something that's like, you know, kind of like been disturbing to a lot of people, that fact. So some people may want to give that to him. When, it, when they get into that situation. Um, when it comes to screenplay, same thing. Nomadland versus Trial of Chicago 7. One's an adapted. One is um, excuse me, one is an adapted. One is an original. And so pretty much those are the two there. Once again, though, Mank. Mank is squeezing up there a little bit because Jack Fincher wrote Mank. Jack Fincher has passed away. That is David Fincher's dad. There's a heartfelt narrative you could put into that one. Um, there are other movies um, I could get into right now, but you know I don't want to go. Time. 
Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, you know, definitely oh. uh, wild, wild Mountain Time. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> <laughs> that, that just killed it right there. Shut you down. That was pretty much Wild Mountain Time. <laughs> exactly. Um, so when you look at it, it's really between those two. But there's a lot of other ones. Promising Young Woman, Minari. Those are some of the ones that we could watch out for. Um, but at this time, right now, the two favorites are Nomadland and Trial of Chicago Seven. It'd be very interesting to see uh, how everything plays out because we still have so long to go with the award, the um, Academy Awards at least being pushed back to the end of uh, April. So mm. I don't know. So are you a big awards guy, Brenda? Uh, just the Oscars. Like yeah. I, I, I don't really care about the Golden Globes. Like I'll look to see, um, you know, who won. Uh, I don't watch the Emmys. I don't. I, I don't know. I again like. The Oscars are, are cool because they're like the big dance, right? Um, but I, it's, and I'm sure you guys know, like being on Instagram, being a part of the online movie community, people just lose their minds, you know? And it always gets into this giant argument and it gets really toxic. And I, I find it so funny. It's like, you know, I remember when Parasite beat out 1917 and Joker. And then there's that guy who's going like, Hollywood is racist towards white people. Like, have you seen that guy? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, dude, does this change your life in any way, shape or form? You know, it's like, do you have to delete that copy of the movie? It's like the movie doesn't disappear. It's like, <laughs> all right, whatever. It's like these prestigious people, like these select people gave it a shiny award. And like what Sean was just saying, you know, they have a bias towards Hollywood. They have a, you know, They'll give it to this person because of this reason, not because the movie's better, or just because like, oh, well, his, his dad died. It'd be a nice thing for him. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio won because he hasn't won it before and he should finally win it for this. You know, so it's again, it's all just politics anyway. Yeah. So you like what you like. Don't like what you don't like. It's cool to get a uh, to see which movie wins, but it doesn't affect me as much as it does other people, other film fans. It's, it's what it is. It's the great like look at the culture at that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we look at 2016 yeah. where normally it would just be la la land, white people save jazz, but instead it was moonlight <laughs> because we look at like, that was a very tense time in America. And so I think people sort of looked another way. By the way, I love La La Land and Moonlight equally almost. But <laughs> and by the way, arguably still is a very tense time for the same reasons. But <laughs> and then and that's why something like you know Trial of Chicago Seven versus like you know I, I think I like both of those or I don't I haven't seen Nomadland but um, I like Trial of Chicago Seven and um, I like the other ones up there. I have you know obviously a different pick for the best film of the year. It's never going to be the same thing. I love disagreeing with the Oscars. That's the point of it. People are just like the Oscars suck. They never picked the right movie. I'm like. That's what you should sort of like enjoy, sort of like right. get into the debate about it. Think about why they're picking that. It is political yeah. and it's just, but, but it's sort of fun to think about. I think about yeah. one thing and then, oh my, I'm going to go off, but um, uh, Rocky <laughs> won in 1976 over Taxi Driver, All the President's Men and Network. Network would have been my pick, by the way. And also I love Rocky. Rocky is this fantastic red-blooded American movie. It's, it's wonderful. And that one best picture over those movies, obviously quality wise, you'd pick any other of those three. However, it, it is just one of those things where this was just after Watergate. This was just after the Nixon resignation. I don't think people were really in the mood for Taxi Driver at that point. Um, it's still a masterpiece that no one's going to take that away. And the same with Network and the same with all the presidents, especially all the president's men, because that was about something that just occurred a few minutes later. So it's just fun, fun to take the temperature of what the culture is at that point. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, it's. Definitely going to be interesting because there still are a number of films that come out that I think will tap into societal uh, challenges right now. Uh, so that race could really flip itself upside down. 
Um, Trial of Chicago 7, we're going to talk about Aaron Sorkin in a little bit with uh, the next project he has lined up. I know, Sean, you're excited to talk about that one. He, Sean texted me last night. It was like, oh, boy, we're going to need a whole pod for this one. Uh, we'll, we'll get to there soon. But speaking of awards, I do want to jump real quick uh, to a little fun exercise of what's been going on online. Uh, this is one man that never won an award for the film that he appeared in, um, and that is um, our our friend Donald Trump. Um, we are not going to get political with this. Of course, he is in a lot of uh, hot shit right now. Um, but uh, given everything that happened last week with um, you know the season finale of America, uh, we are um, <laughs> the internet is having a lot of fun with saying that they should digitally remove um, Donald Trump from Home Alone too. And here are the suggestions that uh, BuzzFeed pulled, and I think they're hilarious. First and foremost is Dolly Parton. <laughs> I love that she's following him. <laughs> I love that she's also like huge. <laughs> That's it. Over him there. Um, and this was someone from England, which I think is hilarious too. Um, Christopher Plummer. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the uh, best move. Get Christopher Plummer in there instead. Get him his supporting actor nomination. Like, Can he do, can he do a, uh, a Trump impression? <laughs> <laughs> he won't. He'll just, like, he didn't do Getty either. He was just like, screw it. I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Isn't Christopher Plummer always the one that they call to like replace the actor at the last Pretty minute? Much. <laughs> yeah. The next one was Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> I don't, that's still Trump. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, I could see that one. Present day Macaulay Culkin, which is absolutely terrifying to me. That's just sort of like a future look or something. I think <laughs> that's yeah. the ghost of Christmas future. I mean, yeah, Home Alone becomes a sci fi movie at that point. <laughs> and he also, like, this is a picture I think from a few years ago when he was going through some things. Yeah. Um, I saw a picture of him recently and he actually looks much better. Uh, but oh yeah, he's he's good. He's on. He shows up on podcasts. He's on Red Letter Media a couple times. Like he's he's doing okay. <laughs> he's making his rounds. Yeah. Uh, all right, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and I like that the person just said fixed. <laughs> I mean, that, that is an audience favorite. You're going the exact opposite with it. It's perfect. Like yeah. everyone loves him. I mean, absolutely perfect. Um, and then a dude telling Kevin to stay away. I didn't see this one yet, and I didn't okay. enable audio, so I can't do that. Yes. Um, or simply nothing is my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's seeing things. Yeah, it's it's very special. Guy Fieri. <laughs> that's that's a you know what that that will appease both sides because everybody loves Guy Fieri. Mm, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> Harry Styles. Um, oh my god. They should just throw that picture of him up in a dress or whatever that was on one of the magazines because that would just throw everyone for a goddamn loop. Um, a random corgi. That uh, sounds perfect. A dog. Nice. And that's pretty much it. I'm, you got to hand down a random corgi. Someone said replace him with Joe Biden. Wait, we just did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, yes. I thought that was entertaining. Um, you know, interesting if you dive back into the whole, you know, them Home Alone 2 being filmed at the Trump Hotel or whatever that one's called in uh, New York. Apparently, it's part of the contract that if you film at a Trump property, he has to be in the film. Uh, so that's kind of fascinating to me. I'm sure there's some legal stuff there that if he was replaced, <laughs> there would be issues. <laughs> Good to say it's a different hotel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
no comment there. Okay, so let's get to some of the news. We did get some wild news this week uh, that we will get to, uh, but I want to start off with talking about Warner Brothers and the streaming plans. Um, of course, there has been a lot of back and forth with Warner Brothers' plans to uh, go ahead and release the films um, in their 2021 slate, uh, day and date, same time, on HBO Max as in theaters. We heard a lot of directors speaking out early on. Most notable of them was probably Christopher Nolan, who just always seems like he's ready to argue about something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there also was a back and forth with Legendary that I believe it, they're working on um, navigating as well, given some of the finances behind that. There is a story going around that uh, they've worked with Legend. Warner Brothers has worked with Legendary for Kong and Skull Island, uh, or I'm sorry, Kong versus what the hell am I? Godzilla versus oh, Kong. That's what it's. Kong versus Skull Island. I think we got that movie already. Bashing his home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The ground. Um, but anyway, the most recent one is M. Night Shyamalan. He came out recently and uh, was not too happy. Pretty much said that he doesn't support it at all. Uh, and without talking to filmmakers that it's ridiculous, it's corporate driven, and he feels bad for his colleagues that found out the, that way and are dealing with it now. This, of course, references the fact that Warner Brothers didn't tell anyone about this decision before it broke. So all of the filmmakers who have already locked in their films with uh, Warner Brothers uh, are, were kind of surprised. Um, do you see any of this changing? And I'll start down there with Brandon. Um, do you see this going in a different direction should the world kind of get right side up uh, in the next few months? Um, I, well, I'll tell you what, if, if the coronavirus just disappears tomorrow, it's just gone, which it won't. But if it does, then you bet your ass that Warner Brothers will put everything back in the theaters. You know what I mean? So it really does depend on that. Um, you know, like I, I think of when, you know, when Carrie Fisher was in Rogue One after she died. And then, of course, you had Peter Cushing in that same movie. And now after that movie, people started to have contracts, you know, put it in their contracts that they cannot use their likeness after they die. You know, like you can't digitally use my image. Now I'm thinking that after this, because when, you know, Christopher Nolan and M. Night Shyamalan made these movies for Warner Brothers, it's M. Night Shyamalan and Christopher Nolan don't own them. They were just the directors. You know what I mean? It, it's Warner Brothers property. They can do whatever they want. They can get the film and just throw it in the lake if they want to. You know, we, we've paid Christopher Nolan. Of course, Christopher Nolan, rightfully so, would be angry. It's like, what the fuck, man? You put my film in the lake? It's like, well, we own it. <laughs> I think now, uh, depending on what the streaming and uh, theater will landscape post-COVID world, which no one knows what that looks like. Yeah. You know, no one knows what a post-COVID world looks like for anything that they would put uh, in the contract, like directors say, okay, well then I I request that this will go into theaters if theaters are open, yada, yada, yada. Um, I think right now the uh, the director's hands are tied legally, which, which sucks because Hollywood has some pretty good lawyers yeah. on their side. The only thing I think about, and Sean, I think you may have brought this up a while ago, was uh, or is the fact that a lot of directors are um, their compensation is tied to the theatrical performance, uh, and you know a lot of them get options based on kind of the status. I think Christopher Nolan would be in, be one of those. So I don't know how that works when you're throwing a film into or onto streaming as well as in theaters. You know, it's not going to make as much money in theaters. What does that look like for those directors? But what are your thoughts on this? 
Well, I looked at this as, uh, first of all, the M. Night comments. Um, finally, like, there's a director that, you know, acknowledged that there's a plague. Um, it was good that that was actually, like, something that, you know, happened. You Usually, like, the, you didn't hear Nolan mention it at all. Um, and it, it just frustrated me because I, I get the anger. I really do. But also, people aren't going to go into theaters. All right. They're just not right now. All right. Some people are heading in there. Um, I'm 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 too scared to go in. And the majority of people are. And so right now it's just more of a business deal to get the movies out there to get them shown. Um, it was really funny that he said that this decision was corporate driven. Um, a corporation made the decision. Of course, it's corporate driven. <laughs> I mean, it's just like kind of buddy. I mean, this they're, they're looking out for money. They're looking out to try to get uh, something done. Um, and I just think about his comment there where he said, uh, you know, maybe, uh, one, just one month or two months or three months, um, not, not a full year. And I understand it was a little bit shocking that they went a full year. It was also poor that they didn't talk to the filmmakers, but here's the funny thing. Yeah, sure. Talk to the filmmakers first before making the announcement and the filmmakers say no. And they say, no, 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 we're doing this. You're just going <laughs> to find out tomorrow. Like, it's just one of those things where like, Brando, you were saying it perfectly. It's the exact same, like they can do whatever they want with that movie. Um, yeah, yes, it's there. Like, I mean, technically, we'll always see it as a Denis Villeneuve movie or a Christopher Nolan movie. We'll always see yeah. it as that. But yes, in terms of production, in terms of where it's getting released, that's only all about you know that studio. And it's it's unfortunate. I love theaters. I want to go back to the theaters so bad, but mm -hmm. it's just not happening. Probably not this year either. But it also is a long game, right? Like if you are going to screw over, screw over a director or a filmmaker on this film, you're not going to court them back for a following film. And you lose that marketability of this is a Christopher Nolan feature, a Matt Reeves feature, uh, you know, whoever it may be. Um, Patty Jenkins, I think, is getting that. Not so much for Wonder Woman 1984, but she's, you know, she's someone that is exciting to, to see. So I don't know. I just think it's, I've said this before. I think Warner Brothers really just dropped the ball with how they handled it. Uh, they kind of went for more of the surprise, shock, and all headlines, um, and then had to pick up the pieces afterwards with all the directors that were like, "Yo, fuck you." Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, one movie that uh, doesn't seem to be hurt uh, hurt by all the streaming stuff is the very first film that was released on HBO Max after skipping theaters. That's Wonder Woman 1984. We've talked uh, ad nauseum about how we are not thrilled, or I wasn't thrilled, Sean, you weren't thrilled with it. Brandon, I don't remember what your review was on this one. Uh, I gave it a positive review. I gave it a three, saying that I liked it, but the more I think about it, the more I dislike it. Yeah. I and uh, like I... That's one of my New Year's resolutions is really trying to get my ratings right because two films in a row now, I've given them a rating. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I, I, I was way too kind. And I think the whole like I have to appease the fans kind of crept in just a little bit, which I, I I keep telling myself that I won't do anymore. But obviously, it's easier said than done. But yeah, like, you know. The other one was Midnight Sky. I don't know if you guys have, have you guys seen that one. I did. You were kind to that. Okay, I won't do. That. I won't do this to you. I don't want to make you feel <laughs> no, bad. No, I, I was. I was a little kind. I, I ripped it. I ripped it to shreds. But I said, but it was still enjoyable. But the more I think about, it, I'm like, God, that was boring. And the more I think about Wonder Woman, I'm like, there's problems. It's yeah. like Spider Man Three. It's the Spider Man Three of the DCEU. The double villains, baby. It's yeah, just sure. all over the place. Parts of it worked. Parts of it didn't. Parts of it didn't make any sense. Parts of it were beautiful and amazing. But those are very few and far between, and in the context of the movie, they don't make sense. It's just, uh, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. So. If you ever go full fan service, Brandon, I will be pissed because some of the yeah. best pieces of your content are when you are so 
strongly, you know, behind mm -hmm. what you posted and then people go at you for it because oh, yeah. you definitely like number one, put them in their place, but number two, show <laughs> that like you're allowed to disagree. And that's yeah. what I love about it. You're very good at showcasing that part of the community. And and one thing, uh, I don't have the quote written down here, but I, I was listening to just real quick, I was listening to Bill Maher do a QA at Oxford. And he said, if everyone likes you, you've never said anything true in your entire life and you're not brave. You know, if you tell the truth, people will hate you for it. Some people will. And that's okay. If you are jet are if you're liked by everyone, then you're not being true and you're probably really bland. So like it's just the way of life. And I'm like, you know what? That's true. I'm gonna be completely 110% honest now. So like that. Yeah. Like that, that works. Sean wasn't honest when he was reviewing the prom. He gave it a C, so we're still not over that. <laughs> uh, but hey, so we going back to Wonder Woman 1984. Yes. Um, I wait guess a minute, wait a minute. I just want to say that <laughs> sometimes when I'm when I'm writing a review, I don't I don't look with fan service. I look at Joe service. Where <laughs> I say like uh -huh. Joe is going to be pissed when I give this a B. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It's just one of those things where all right, now you can keep going. Just so you know, that's where I'm at with my reviews. It's in comparison to other films. That's when I get really frustrated. No, 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 no. It's just don't. about that. Okay, we're not doing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk we'll talk about this later Sean would you vote for uh, Wonder Woman 1984's best picture because Warner Brothers is pushing Wonder Woman for all of the major categories including uh, best picture best director best adapted screenplay um, best actress uh, Kristen Wiig Robin Wright and Connie Nielsen for best supporting actress the Robin latter, Wright the Sorry. latter two of which were in the film for three seconds throw it out Throw it out. Chris Pine and Pedro Pascal for Best Supporting Actor. Chris Pine killed a guy, essentially. <laughs> took over his body. <laughs> he came back, though. Um, and then also Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Costume Design. Is this just like, <laughs> let's go okay. for it? So, so this is one of those things where um, it, do, it, it makes the news because uh, Wonder Woman was such a pretty disappointing movie. But... Studios do this. Like studios do this with a lot of ridiculous movies. I guarantee right now there's about 300 movies that are up for best picture um, yeah. that have been like you know submitted for best picture. Wild Mountain Time is on there for best picture somewhere on there in the W's uh, near Wonder Woman. So like <laughs> the problem there is that yeah the studio I think about Warner Brothers um, right now I can't possibly. Uh, think about another Warner Brothers movie that's an Oscar contender. So they're throwing their horse behind this. It's just not going to work, obviously. Um, but, you know, they'll, they'll probably get some of those technicals. But if you're also on there for Best Picture, maybe you start to realize something. Carrie Mulligan had a uh, quote when uh, she was promoting Promising Young Woman, um, you know, early, early in this year, saying that um, the Academy voters should be watching every single, like, you know, nominee, uh, every single admission. Um, now, while I agree with that, that's also very impossible, um, where it's one of those things just because there are so many. And, um, you know, all this can do is like cloud it a little bit. Like people could watch Wonder Woman instead of, you know, giving something else best picture like First Cow, um, which is like First Cow, Wonder Woman. They're kind of the same type of premise. But um, I <laughs> that is that is part of the reason here is that like everybody submits a ton of movies. I get that. I'm with you. Um, it's just it cracks me up given it's all the shit the film has gotten. Uh, I don't know. Um, so, Brandon, you would not vote for it is what I'm hearing. No, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Um, you know, and I remember when I think it was like IGN's Fan People's Choice Awards came out and they 
like the best movie was Wonder Woman before it even had come out. And I'm like, this is so sad. Like, are people just that biased? Yes. Like, oh, of course, it's a, it's the first superhero movie of the year. It's going to be that good. Or IGN is just full of shit and they didn't... Uh, it's not a People's Choice Awards. It's just their choice awards. Like... But if uh, but honestly, I think it's the latter. I think it's or the first option where people are just that biased and going, "Oh, Wonder Woman! I know it's going to be good," and I, I I hate that mentality from just people and film fans where it's like, "Oh, I know I'm going to love this movie." No, you don't. You haven't seen it yet. You cannot say that you love a movie that you've never seen before or hate. You know, so it's just uh, it's just a personality trope that was exposed by Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. Well, look, I love Aaron Sorkin's next movie already uh, because mm-hmm. Aaron Sorkin's next project, which is set up at Amazon, is being the Ricardos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it may have found its leading couple to play Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz uh, in Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem. Don't fall over, Sean. <laughs> the story is set during uh, one week of production for I Love Lucy when a turn of events uh, sp- could spell the end of both their careers and their marriage. Sean, you're bursting at the seams here. Hit us with it. I don't know if if this is my most anticipated movie of whatever year it comes out or if this is going to be an absolute train wreck because these two are just the most interesting pair of casting. I look at Nicole Kidman. She's got the look. Nicole Kidman's got the like Lucille Ball look, but she doesn't really do like a comedic energy to Will. Granted, this is going to be a drama about them behind the scenes, but you still got to like, you know, be able to like, you know, shove a bunch of chocolates in your mouth from a conveyor belt. I don't know how funny Nicole Kidman can be. She's got the look. It's very interesting, but she's also a little bit too intense. And the actual Lucille Ball was also like very intense running the show a lot of the time. So right on. I think that this could be an interesting dichotomy, but I don't know how well that would go. Javier Bardem, (laughs) as Desi Arnaz, is batshit crazy. (laughs) most insane casting um i kind of love it i kind of love the balls on it by the way the, we should repeat these are all these are both rumors essentially at this point right uh, it'll be announced tomorrow they're <laughs> oh, all, all the big studio or all the big uh, outlets are saying that they're in final talks so so desi Ar- or, or desi arnaz um both desi arnaz and javier bardem javier bardem are incredibly tra- attractive individuals but for very different reasons and Desi Arnaz is this uh, very uh, loud, um, like just you know, a little bit, like just much more loud and boisterous and like a little bit more with the showmanship. And um, the, on the other side is, um, you know, Javier Bardem, who's quiet and intense and, you know, who, like won an Oscar, deservedly so, but won an Oscar for like not making faces and it's just going to be really cool to see it. I've never really seen Javier Bardem go that high and I want to see it. I really want to see it. I want this to work. I'm rooting for it, but it seems just so insane. I'm very excited for it regardless. (laughs) It is, it is definitely a, an interesting pair to cast. Uh, I read somewhere that um, I guess Nicole Kidman in particular had uh, passed on it or she didn't have interest until she saw Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, I don't know if she's just never seen an Aaron Sorkin film before. Or, or was more. Um, Brandon, something you're interested in. Um, I, I'm not too familiar with uh, Lucille Ball or Arnaz. Um, or, yeah, Arnaz. Shut right? them off. Get them out. Yeah. So okay. I'm just not familiar with them. So let's see a trailer. You know, again, I'm if and I've said this all the time, 
character story emotion i'll watch a movie about ice cream truck repairman if it has those three things Ooh. so the subject matter doesn't really matter to me as long as the movie's engaging uh so yeah we'll see a trailer i mean aaron sorkin and those actors are uh very talented so i think that you know adding talent to your movie is never a bad thing so we'll see coming to netflix ice cream pair ice cream truck repair <laughs> Renewed through three seasons. Um, so some last minute news here to throw in before we move on with our outline. Um, another week, another Zack Snyder's Justice League uh, bit of news. Um, and this is at ha- ha- Harry Lennox. I almost said Henry Lennox. Harry Lennox has cleared up uh, to Collider that he will indeed appear as Martian Manhunter in this film, which was rumored for a long time. Um, he never was able to film those scenes when they... We're doing Justice League in a pass because of the series he was on, but that's happening. And then another film that a lot of people were waiting for a release date for is St. Maud from A24, and that just got a release date. It's hitting select theaters and drive-ins January 29th, and then will be available to, available to stream on Epix HD, which I'm not totally familiar with, uh, February 12th. So we're, we're seeing some of these films uh, get dropped. The Green Knight was another one we were waiting for for a while, and that's hitting theaters in the summer. Uh, so there you go. Little little breaking news there, if you will. Um, let's jump back to this though. I do want to talk about the next strange project that is just so interesting to me. Um, Brendan Fraser is going to star in uh, Darren Aronofsky's adaptation of the stage play The Whale, set up at A24, and this totally reeks of an A24 film through and through. Um, but the play uh, came out in. 2012 from Samuel D. Hunter. It tells the story of a 600 pound man who is quote unquote, a a recluse eating himself to death uh, who attempts to reconnect with his unhappy sharp tongue estranged daughter. The playwright is adapting the play for film. uh, So he'll be writing the script. And I presume that Frazier is going to be playing this man, but does that mean he's going to be in like a fat suit? Brandon, how does that work? Do you guys rent fat suits at your, uh, at your company is that one of the things you guys do? I'm going to say in, in your country because Brandon <laughs> Frazier is Canadian. Um, like I, I saw this, I'm like, this has got to be a troll, right? You know, Brendan Fraser, all the fat jokes are there and they cast him in a movie called the whale. <laughs> really? It's like casting Rosie O'Donnell as the cow, you know? So for nothing against Rosie O'Donnell, but um, he was in first cow, right? Yeah. She was, she, yeah first cow. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, can we cast Edward Furlong too? <laughs> anyway, I love you in T2, man, if you're watching. I mean, I mean it, it, it's good to see him back. I mean, I, I, I forget the actual story of what happened to him because I think there was like a family tragedy that happened. And that's why he stopped acting for a while and he kind of just like disappeared off the map. And, you know, um, he, he wasn't the most... He didn't have the most range as an actor, but he was always just fun to watch on screen, and he always just brought a lot of charisma and charm. Um, so you know, let's let's see, let's see him come back. Uh, if if he actually gained six hundred pounds for a role, oh, I, I don't know, man. I, I'd say get a better do with something else with your life because that's not healthy. It's just a movie, man. Um, <laughs> fat suit, I think, is the way to go. Christian Bale's like, I'm ready to step in whenever you need me. <laughs> uh, Sean, first of all, we are not fat shaming. We're just cracking jokes. Yes. Um, but second off, Sean, are you pumped for this one? 
Well, absolutely, because, you know, for the same reason you said, Brendan, um, is, uh, you know, Brendan Fraser being back sounds great. Um, mm-hmm. The reason there could have been a personal tragedy involved, I didn't hear about that. But the story that I heard was uh, he was uh, sexually assaulted by a producer and, uh, wow. like, reported it and then kind of got blacklisted because this was before the Me Too uh, era. He was very private about that. He really did step away. Um I only know, like, you know, I, I think I've read one or two articles, so I don't know how, uh, you know, fact-checked they are. Um, but it just seemed like something where I think he, then he sort of stepped away fully and just kind of, like, said, I'm, I'm done with the industry. And it's a shame because his talent was, like, off the charts. I mean, it, it, like, off the charts in this other way that he had the potential. Um, I shouldn't say he's off the, off the charts, but... Like the charismatic stuff. I mean, we all, I think, first were introduced with him in George of the Jungle. And um, that was just a silly, dumb character. But he already had so much like sort of going for him. I just recently uh, watched Gods and Monsters from 1998. And, you know, he's playing opposite Ian McKellen, who's just like, you know, just going for that Oscar and just absolutely killing it. (laughs) Ian McKellen's great in that. But Brendan Fraser also like sort of matches him very well. Um, surprisingly so, actually. I, I really, uh, you know, enjoyed that movie, enjoyed his performance. I think we all, like, kind of remember his personality. I mean, he was that great action star in The Mummy and Mummy Returns. I I really mm-hmm. want him to have a comeback. But this movie does seem extremely weird. We're talking Darren Aronofsky here, who is a wonderful filmmaker or maker of Mother. And it's just, you know, and Mother, some people love it, some people hate it, so, you know, I'll, but things can get a little bit too weird. We could get Black Swan, we could get Mother. Um, I think he, like Aronofsky, Aronofsky, yeah, Aronofsky can do um, a film like this, but um, I'm rooting for both these guys and in general, this movie, without a doubt. So just following up on the Brendan yeah. Fraser uh, Me Too movement stuff, um, in February of 2018, he spoke to GQ and alleged that the uh, ex-president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Oh, God. Uh, Philip Burke assaulted him at the Beverly Hills Hotel in the summer of 2003. Um, and that's sort of what led to a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Wow. So that's that's a shame. Wow. Because yeah. um, that was, wasn't that right around, that's right after the third mummy came out, right? I think so. Yeah. Was he in the third mummy? Yeah. Uh, third was- mummy came out in 2008, I believe. Let me. Oh, okay. That was after that then. Uh, let me fact check that. Uh, I just- Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, 2008. Uh, and Mummy 2 was 2001. I was thinking Scorpion King is the third Scorpion one, which he wasn't King. in. Right. Um, soon to be remade, Scorpion King. Um, <laughs> yes. Oscars 2022, here we come. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm actually um, I'm excited to see him again. I just watched Bedazzled. Uh, do you remember that oh. movie with Elizabeth Harley? <laughs> that Harley? so underrated. That's <laughs> great movie. That is the definition of a hidden gem. Yep. Totally. It's if- so funny. Mm-hmm. He's hilarious in it. I just, I, I hope to see him get back to, I mean, it's going to be interesting because he's obviously an older actor now, right? So uh, this is a more serious role for him. Um, what his career is going to look like after that. And if he'll continue to do some of those more, you know, goofier, looser roles remains to be seen. Um the next story we have here is back in comic book land. Uh, we got confirmation from Kevin Feige that uh, Deadpool 3 is indeed in the works with the Molino sisters, who are writers on Bob's Burgers, uh, working on the script with Ryan Reynolds sort of you know, chiming in and overseeing it. Uh, it will be set in the MCU, and it will be R-rated. Sean, my question for you is, we, I don't think there was 
ever much doubt that we were getting another Deadpool given the success of those. There were questions about the R rating and whatever. Um, does that create challenges for Marvel since they have built up a base of fans who may not be able to see an R-rated film? I actually, I, I sort of don't think so, um, surprisingly. And I think it's because this is going to be a separate film. Yes, a part of the universe, but a separate film that's going to be this violent, this nuts. I mean, he's already a part of the MCU because he makes jokes about everything. Yeah. So it, it's one of those things where, like, he's already there. Um, now, where it gets complicated, which I don't think it'll be a problem, but, you know, he has his own little movie, and then he shows up in, like, Avengers, what would it be, 5, 7, who knows, um, like, in Avengers 5 with all the stuff. I think he'll be very tame. He'll still have his goofy little jokes. He'll still have his silly little, like, references. Um, but it will be a lot more tame. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Little kids will be like, hey, who's that guy in the red suit? Oh, let me watch the movie that I get. I, I, I think might be on Disney Plus, but what? No, I like. We'll, we'll, and they'll look at that, and that could get complicated. Um, I also know that all little kids see all violence now, apparently, and so you know nothing is sacred. But um, that I, I think it's fine. I think you can work around it. Um, you know, he's completely off to the side. He has his crazy R-rated adventure. Then he comes in with the other adventures, and he makes his little fun PG thirteen jokes. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, they're both on Hulu, by the way, because I did notice that last night. Oh, yes, um, yes, yes. Brandon, can you just yell down the street and ask him some of these questions for us? <laughs> <Isn't> that... Yeah. <laughs> well, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, it's good for my hometown because we're going to get another big uh, film production uh, down my streets, which is which is nice. Uh, if you guys don't know who are watching, uh, I'm from Vancouver. We're in the film industry in Vancouver, and Ryan Reynolds is from here, and he always likes to bring up his projects up here. Um, so it helps the economy. But uh, yeah, like Sean, you brought up some good points. You know, um, like people, like the Joker is an R-rated superhero movie, uh, comic book movie, I should say. But like most, I'm assuming that most of the people who went to go see Joker, like they're the same audience as the Avengers. Like a lot of those people crossed over. Um, and the whole like, oh, it's R rating. I think it's going to alienate some of the kids. I honestly don't think so. Like you, even back in the 90s, you had uh, R rated movies have all the toy lines like RoboCop and Total Recall. And any other Paul Verhoeven movie, like Starship Trooper <laughs> toys, like you know, how can they sell all these toys when they can't see the movie? They they'll find a way, you know. Um, and yeah, so like Deadpool three, same thing. Make all the jokes, make all the violence, do all like the crass humor. Um, it's gonna see. It's gonna feel weird to see Deadpool in an Avengers movie. And I honestly, and again, I haven't seen the movie, and maybe I'll change my opinion on this, but I think if you put him a part of the MCU, just don't keep him in the Avengers because, like, bringing Deadpool into a PG 13 setting, like, and him not swearing all the time, not doing all these sex jokes, you know, it's going to be Detective Pikachu's voice as Deadpool. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's going to be those kind of jokes, which are fine, but it's not Deadpool, you know? So like, you're not going to see Thanos come back and then I'm going to slice his fucking head off, you know? And there's a bunch of blood this time and <laughs> it's just going to be too jarring. I feel like just keep them separate, but then yeah. nerds will get angry at me and say like, Oh, you know, like it has to match all the, like Deadpool, I think works because it just says fuck it to all of the like 
like is it McAvoy or is it Stewart? What kind of yeah. universe? Are in? <laughs> like you can't have those jokes at the finale of Endgame. You know what I mean? Like it just seems like it's gonna clash. So Deadpool three, by all means, let's do it. Keep it R rated. You'll still get a bunch of money. Um, but bringing him into the Avengers, I think uh, either Avengers has to be R, which I'm for, or <laughs> PG PG thirteen Deadpool, which I think is not what the fans want. You get one or two fucks in a PG-13 film in the States. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, yeah, I think it's one. <laughs> it's, it's still too... It's still not enough for Deadpool. Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, are we in danger of Deadpool fatigue? Because, you know, the second one was fun, but I was getting a little bit tired of it. Yeah, because it was and the shock value. It was the shock yeah. value of having a superhero talk straight to the audience and go, what the fuck's going on? Like, what's about this? And now... <laughs> You, you can tell that's happening already. Mm-hmm. So it's the shock value. It's, and also, it's not there anymore. The first one also had the story behind it getting made where Ryan Reynolds was pushing for it for so long and mm-hmm. you know, leaked the the scene or whatever, the test uh, test screening, test scene, I should say. Uh, but I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a little over Deadpool. Um, I think it would be fun if they threw him into an Avengers movie and they like just relegated him as like the, you know, flying the copter or something. Um, and, and he's like, what the hell? Or like he, like the after credit scene, he arrives late and he's like, what the fuck? Or something like, I could see that happening, but I don't know. Uh, that I might mean, be the move. Yeah. <laughs> or throw, I don't think they throw him in the Avengers. I think you wait until you get X-Men going in a couple oh, of, yeah. uh, like, you know, a year or two and then throw him in there. But I mean, there's a connection, right? <laughs> um, last story I want to talk about is um, kind of just a, a quick funny thing that I saw. So this headline kind of surprised me um, because you have Michael Pena replacing Stanley Tucci in a film, which seems like a very odd swap to me, like two different types of actors that you're looking at there. But this is in Roland Emmerich's uh, upcoming, you know, Disaster World is Ending movie, uh, Moonfall, which sounds a lot like um, Armageddon. Um, but it has the likes of Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley, uh, Emma Iqbal, oh my God, I always say that name wrong, Charlie Plummer, and Don, Don, Donald. What's happening to you? I don't know. I just like. <laughs> it was Donald Sutherland and you tripped up. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about Trump again. I know. I'm like, uh, it's like PTSD um, that we're still living through. But uh, it's. The story has to do with the moon being knocked off of its orbit and uh, hurtling towards Earth. Um, Sean, yes? <laughs> so Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Um, are, okay, so um, I think looking at this, uh, I looked at the description of uh, Stanley Tucci or, you know, ex-Stanley Tucci's character, and it was going to be the, like, you know, a car dealer um, who is dating the, um, the protagonist's wife or Patrick Wilson's wife, and Tucci is very good at being hated. I mean, I love Tucci, but Tucci has a good, like, kind of like, you know, asshole, like, performance that he could bring out. Pena, I love him. And that's the problem is that Michael Pena is a very lovable guy. And I can't see him in that same role. And maybe he'll do it, like, just kind of ultra friendly. Um, This might be a very small character, too, because also we're talking about. Like I'm talking about the deconstruction of a character in a movie where the moon <laughs> is falling to the earth. So I don't know why I'm saying this stuff, but anyway, I think that that's partly you know what uh, you know could be happening, and that could be the problem. Roland Emmerich movies suck, but I love, <laughs> but I love watching them. Yeah. Um, really, like you, you have so many damn characters in all of their movies. 
or all of his movies that I literally think you could put anyone in there and it wouldn't make too much of a difference. So uh, I'm just, wait, no, I just timestamped that so that I can pull. Thank you. <laughs> pull an suck I really want movie. our reactions to that because it was just so beautifully read. <laughs> and I mean, like, I enjoy watching Independence Day as much as anybody. But guys, come on. It's a bad movie. It's a bad movie. It's made for dumb people. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so you're calling us dumb right now. All right, so I'm let's think about this. The dumb. Canadian is calling the Americans dumb for liking Independence Day. <laughs> what I just say, I said I like watching Independence Day. So I am dumb for liking it too. But at least I can, right. be, I can be self-aware of my dumbness. So. We won't be. <laughs> His next film after that is Boxing Day. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, <laughs> it's called Canada Day, the next uh, alien movie. <laughs> Maybe that's why you guys got so triggered because I said something about Independence Day. Uh, that's absolutely oh, <laughs> How dare you say anything about our Constitution? Fireworks, 1776. It's, it's a movie made by some foreign hack that wants to be the next Spielberg. <laughs> Just kidding, Roland Emmerich. But uh, the funny part about that is that I think most Americans are learning about 1776 in the Constitution for the first time this this week, and you know, given everything going on. Yeah, oh, but joking, joking aside, you know, um, yeah, like Roland Emmerich's movies, uh, there he has so many characters that are very one note that I think you can literally cast anybody, and it won't make too much of a difference. Like you have John Cusack as your main character in 2012, and like, sure, why not? Well, I think it relies on it because the the two leads in there are Will Smith and uh, Jeff Goldblum. And, you know, if you put two other people in there a little bit lesser than that, yeah, I think the movie does come off a little bit more stupid than we realize. But we love their charm so much that we're like, oh, we're in. (laughs) Also, Independence Day 2 is exactly – it proves that that claim because they killed off Will Smith and Mm -hmm. they had other people in there and it just was not good at all. Yeah. Um. Fun. I think I told this story before, but 2012, I was in grad school and my roommate and I got really drunk watching movies. Um, and we were talking during, or I was talking during 2012. And at one point he was like, shh, Joe, shh, we need to find out where they have the boats. <laughs> it's yeah. so dumb, but in the, and, in the moment it was hilarious. And I, that's a guilty pleasure for me. Like, I like 2012. It's, they're bad, it's a bad movie, but I like watching it, you know? <laughs> It's it's like um you know my cake analogy for movies you know your top layers character story it's Roland Emmerich is just sticking your hand into a giant fucking tub of icing it tastes great but it's really bad for you it's the perfect analogy for Roland Emmerich movies then you I become Brendan Fraser on the couch yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you wait you wait twenty years and you're in the well yeah thanks Roland Emmerich um, man. Well, that's a great place to end, I think, uh, our, our news section. Um, fuck Roland Emmerich. No, I'm kidding. Um, top, top new releases coming out this week. Lockdown hits HBO Max on Thursday. The Marksman, uh, which I gave rave reviews earlier, uh, hits theaters on Friday. Um, very interesting document documentary. MLK uh, FBI is in limited theaters Friday. One Night in Miami, huge Oscar contender, uh, hits Amazon Prime Video on Friday. Outside the Wire, starring uh, uh, Anthony Mackie, uh, sci-fi film, hits Netflix on Friday. Promising Young Woman is streaming this week, and News of the World is streaming this week. 
so lots of stuff to catch up on. I still have not seen News of the World. And I, I will actually oh. say a lot of those movies are on the lower half of the best picture, uh, yeah. like, you know, kind of like buzz. And I didn't go that deep into earlier, but those are a lot of the movies that people are thinking are going to be in that best picture list. Interesting. Uh, Brendan, I know you love News of the World. Uh, I, I didn't give it a five out of five, but yeah, it, it it was it was so solid. Like it was just all around a very solid movie. And, um, you know, like it again, it, it kind of gave me like, like an emotional connection. Yeah. <laughs> you know, remember those? Um, <laughs> I get them with more Roland Emmerich films. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I cry like a bitch in Roland Emmerich films. You know, okay. The Patriot, man. Oh, God. I, I You yeah, know what? I, I will admit, I have not seen The Patriot yet. Oh, um, you'll love The Patriot. I've, I've heard, though, that it has a very similar, like, storyline to Braveheart. Just because it's like, you know, guy loses yeah. his family, fights for his country. Like, I just mean, a very standard plot point. Similar but. line to everything. Like, yeah. <laughs> Man no, loses family, gets mad, kills many. And Jason yeah. Isaacs is the bad dude. It's so, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, didn't you say News of the World was one of your favorites of last year? Or did I make that up? Nope. Top three. I put that in my top three. Um, I mean, yeah. Tom Hanks is great. Uh, and you know what? The movie is about a man going around from town to town telling the news. And it really captures the magic of storytelling. Um yeah, it it, get, it got me a little emotional. Uh, I will admit. So uh, it's a it's a great movie. Uh, I highly recommend that one. Need to check that out. That is on my list for this week. Brendan, we are always so happy to have you here, which is why we pester you to come back uh, whenever <laughs> we, we want to, really, um, and even when you try to ignore me or block me. Um, but Brendan, where can people find you? <laughs> I've never tried to block you ever. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed you skipped over ignore. No. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Uh, no, uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for having me. It was a lot of fun. Um, it's fun uh, bashing Roland Emmerich. I love you, man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you guys can find me at Brando Critic. That is on YouTube. Is That's where you'll find most of my content, which is, you know, reviews, uh, first-time reaction videos, Blu-ray pickups. Um, you know, got to watch the wallet on those. But, uh, you know, Instagram, Letterboxd, Twitter, TikTok, but the main content is on YouTube, and then Instagram is do is where I do most of my um, marketing. And uh, you know, hey, this is coming out soon, so that's where you can find me, and that's where you guys can talk to me the most. Awesome. And is there a Brando show this week? Not this week. So um, I also do uh, every second Friday now. I used to do it every Friday, but it it just got too much. Um, but every second Friday, I host the Brando Show, which is kind of like the Joe Rogan podcast, but for movies. And what I do is I have a Zoom link open for anyone who wants to join. So we can talk movies. Uh, generally, movies is the main thing we talk about. But, you know, we can talk about music and video games and travel and uh, entertainment and, you know, uh, psychology, um, dating advice, relationship advice, life advice. You know, it, it can goes in a bunch of different aspects, but movies is the main topic. And it's always a lot of fun. There's always a lot of people coming on, people from all over the world join in. Uh, and yeah, every second Friday. So not this Friday coming up, but the next one, which I believe is the 22nd. I very nice. Very, very nice. Sean, where can people find you? 
Math teacher movies on Instagram. I do monologue Mondays, what the Oscars got wrong Wednesdays, and final shot Fridays. I also inter- I also review films of old and new and TV shows of old and new. That's the worst one I've ever done. I'm so upset at myself. But I review a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, so check that out. And now it's getting worse. Please, Joe, stop, stop, interrupt me. I, I keep on, Joe. Keep going. You're, you're, keep going. you're doing pretty well, man. You're, you can, you can see the shovel of the hole I'm digging myself in. You can uh, do it. You can Matt do it. movies on Instagram for very clear and articulate uh, <laughs> reviews like this. God damn it! Just please follow me. And you can find me a guy at the movies on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all that fun stuff. Uh, YouTube as well as guyatthemovies.com for all the latest news and reviews uh, regarding movies and more coming soon. Um, you can also listen to this podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcast. If you like it, uh, even if you don't leave a comment, um, make it positive, leave a comment, <laughs> rate us, uh, let us know your thoughts. They're always fun to read. Uh, and we still are in the middle of a pandemic, uh, even though the world is crumbling around us. Sean, what would you like to leave the people with? For the love of God, um, there's <laughs> several things, um, you know, don't invade government buildings. Uh, well- <laughs> session um that that should be a gimme that shouldn't have been on the rule list uh but you know i'm not even gonna go there but um you know just please wear a mask please wear a mask you know make Shyamalan happy uh make Denis Villeneuve happy make Christopher Nolan happy wear a mask so we can go back to theaters and HBO Max can stop putting their stuff on there and just please please wear a mask all the time everywhere all the time go to sleep wear a mask Christopher Nolan can be uh happy again yes (laughs) Uh, Brandon, once again, thank you so much for being here, and we will talk soon. Yes, thank you, guys. Thanks, Brandon. See ya.